Well, we're going to receive our offering if you can prepare your gift. So thankful for those of you that have been just, again, so faithful in your tithes and offerings. Uh, we are this close to closing on a building for our Warren campus. Come on now. So I, want, I actually want to invite up Pastor Andrew and Monica now. Can you guys give these awesome couple a hand? Um, as I've shared with many of you, when I was praying um, in 2016 and 17 and just every day asking God, Lord, as I step into this role, what do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want from Rock of Grace? Kept hearing Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mobilize the saints. Mobilize the saints. Well, if you want to mobilize 350 saints, you have to have leaders, right, to guide them and uh, and, and we want to transform Trumbull, you have to have leaders, as, as you can imagine. I'm not going to be at every campus and preaching and ministering and all that. So I am so thankful, first of all, for the life group leaders. Come on, if you are a life group leader, stand up, because you are our first. Come on, stand on up. I said, don't lie. Don't Come on. If you have people over your house as they like, yes, thank you. There you go. Thank you. So we, listen, you guys are our, we call them under shepherds, our, our pastors that mean a lot to us. But as we're planting uh, campuses, our Warren campus, we're going to be doing a lot of training this summer and fall and a soft launch this fall. And so if you live in Howland or Warren or in Champion in that region and you say, you know what, the drive's too far. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> that is not the reason. Every turn to your neighbor and say, that is not the reason. That's something we joke about behind the closed doors. I shouldn't have made that joke. Sorry. If you feel, after Pastor Andrew is sharing today and in uh, two weeks, and you and your spouse, we want you to be praying, you know, and you're going to hear this from them too, but we want you to be praying. God, what do you want to do with my life? How many know that after you've been a believer for a while, come on, how many have been a believer for 10 years? Raise your hand. 10 years. Right? God wants to take you now to disciple maker. Come on. Disciple maker. Because there's a lot of hurting people in Trumbull County. We want to see them know the love of Jesus. We want to see them renewed and born again. And so as you give, I want you to connect the dots. When you're giving, you're, you are giving to this crazy vision of seeing 10 churches in 10 cities in 10 years. Because we are going to see Trumbull County transformed. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the generosity. God, thank you that we are just days away from closing on a new building. And God, that we're, we're not stressed out about it, Lord, financially. What a gift. Father, I thank you for the generous giving and faithfulness of your people. I pray a blessing over every single giver, every couple, every household in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, these guys have been journeying here. From the long, well, give Monica a hand as she goes on out. You're going to preach today, right? That's what I heard. Isn't next that week. next week? Next week. Next week. Give Monica one more hand. She's awesome sauce. So, Pastor Andrew, uh, just really a God story. I know I already shared it a few times, but bottom line is, he called someone the day after. The guy who he called talked to me and said, "I know I'm helping you with your next church plant. I know I am." And the next day, he talked to him. He says, I want to plant a church in Warren, Champion area, and I want to be in a network. And my friend's like, well, you need to talk to Jordan. So it's really cool. Welcome, Pastor Andrew. Amen. You guys doing all right? All right. A couple things before I get started, just to kind of preface for you. Uh, in the event I fall off of this, just leave me here. Exit, and we'll try again next week, because uh, you'll discover about me, I'm clumsy, and if I can get hurt doing it, I will get hurt doing it, so, and I have this really bad habit of putting my toes here, uh, so it, it's only a matter of time until I finally just bite the dust, so. If it happens, no prayer needed. Just leave me, laugh about me on the way out, and we'll see you next Sunday here at 9.30, okay? I still may be here on the floor, and if I am, just walk around me. Amen. I am so excited to share with you this morning. Uh, like Pastor Jordan said, it was a complete God thing that uh, brought us together and brought us into the Rock of Grace family. Uh, I grew up in Warren. And Champion, I actually graduated from Champion High School, class of 2005. 
Uh, I feel old, but I'm probably not that old to, to most people, but my gray hair from 12 years of youth ministry makes me look a little bit older. And uh, so I grew up there and uh, Warren kid my whole life, and we're just excited to be back. God has had it in my heart to eventually come back to where we grew up uh, and plant a church and just how God orchestrated that entire uh, season of our lives together and brought us into connection with, with Rock of Grace and Pastor Jordan and this incredible family. We're just thrilled and honored to be a part. And I know we say it a lot, but we are truly going to transform trouble. Do you believe that this morning? Will you just say amen to that? Amen. amen. Come on. Do you believe that this morning? Will you say amen to that? Amen. It's so funny because I grew up, actually, uh, the youth group I was a part of in Warren would come to uh, these events you guys used to have way back in the day called Unite uh, Nights. And we would come and Pastor Jordan would be leading worship and preaching and, and youth groups from all over the city and all over Trumbull County would be coming together. And so stepping back into this room, I'm just like, look how God has brought me full circle uh, in, in 12 short years. But I want to share with you this morning, if you'll allow me... Uh, we're going to continue in our why series, and we're in the why worship uh, portion of that series. And I want to share uh, the idea with you that worship changes you. Worship changes you. And I want to operate from one uh, principal quote. Uh, my favorite theologian or guy I like to read uh, all time is A.W. Tozier. Uh, I don't know why, but back in the day, like, if you could get away with just using your initials, you, like, sounded cooler, right? Like, all these preachers from back in the day, like, there's, like, T.L. Lowry and, like, A.A. Like, no names needed, just two letters, right? Like, you can call me A.W. Please don't, actually. Please don't. But my favorite theologian is A.W. Tozier. And I want to, if, if you take notes, I want you to write this down because this is the premise of what we're going to be talking about this morning and everything we're going to build around. And it's, it's this. He proposes this question. He says, what is the chief end of man? Question mark. So if you're writing notes, write that down this morning. What is the chief end of man? Really what he's saying is, what is the reason for man's existence? Why, do we, uh, why are we here? What is the purpose? What is the reason that we were created? And then I love it because he doesn't leave me to guess, right? I don't like questions where I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't a great student in high school, just so you know. So uh, when I could get the answer, like in math, sometimes they would assign the problems that I could look in the back of the book and find the answers to. Like the odd problems, there were always answers in the back of the book. Those were my favorite days in high school uh, because I could just copy it down. But he says this, what is the chief end of man, question mark? And this is what he says is the answer. He says, to glorify God and exalt him forever. Period. And that is the quote we're going to build our entire thought process around this morning. What is the chief end of man? The reason we exist in our daily lives, in our church life, in our worship moments, in our car rides, in our ups, in our downs, in our battles, in our successes, in our failures. Why are we here? To glorify God and exalt him forever. Do you believe that this morning? So I'm one of those preachers, I'll just let you know, um, because, you know, I'm not a long service kind of guy, and this is what will help you get out of here quicker. I like to tell people this because I don't want people to think he's going to talk forever. This is what will help you get out of here quicker. If you talk back to me when I preach, you throw an amen in there, even if you don't like, like you don't even have to agree with it. Just give me an amen because it makes me feel better, right? And I'm shallow a little bit, and I need the encouragement, right? So if you give me like an amen or a come on or hey, whatever, right? If you want to like run, we'll get through this a lot faster. You'll be a lot happier. You'll get your steps in, and then we can go, right? So I just want you to know that. But I, I want to just talk for a moment about worship. How many of you are listen to worship in your car kind of people? Amen. It's like three quarters of the room. How many of you are worship in the shower kind of people? Right? A little bit less. I get it. It's awkward, right? Like, God, why are you giving me sermons in the shower? This is a weird moment. God, why are we having moments? Like, it's just, oh, I get it. How many of you are worship at the gym kind of people? 
right? Like I like to, not that I've been at the gym recently, as you can tell, because <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> this is the ministry, this is the body that Jesus wants me to have. I, it's a, that's my excuse. This is the, this is, this is the preacher body he's given me. <laughs> my, intel, my mind, six pack and 24 inch, right? My physical, not so much. See, there's opportunity even within the realm of our daily lives to offer expressions of worship to God. And in a moment, we're going to differentiate between the expressive nature of our lives and the lived out daily practical application of worship. Do you know that music is powerful? Right? It's so powerful. Listen, I, I was doing some research. I got on the internet, on the Google, right? You guys Google? Okay. Ad agencies, I discovered that ad agencies, marketing firms, they will spend millions of dollars a year crafting the perfect jingles and songs. Why? Because their thinking is if they can annoy you with this repetitive hook long enough, it will play over in your mind. And as you're driving past that business, it will come up in your thinking and you will pull in and you will order that double quarter pounder, that fry. And when she says you want to make it a large, you say, why not? I'm already going down the dark road anyways. Why not go a little harder? Right? And so they spend all this money. And listen, it definitely works. Why? You finish this, right? Ba-dum-bum-bum-ba. Right? Or, or some, someone hit McDonald's on the way in. <laughs> or what about this one? The best part of waking up. Someone had some folders this morning as well. And what you'll clearly discover is uh, you don't ever want me to sing to you. Okay? Listen, I'm not much of a horror movie fan or a suspense movie fan. I get nightmares, okay? And we have to sleep with the lights on. It's terrible, right? That's a joke, but some of you thought it's not. <laughs> you can laugh at that. It's cool. I'm not much of a horror movie fan, but listen, what makes the scary part of the movie? It's not the guy that we clearly know is an actor in a mask with a fake knife. Because I think we're intelligent enough to reason that this isn't real. But when they add this suspenseful building music that makes you like get on the edge of your seat because you know it's slowly building into something and you get a little bit, hee, right? Hee, right? And you get all uh, scared and on the, like you grab on to your significant other, your spouse. It's not that person. It's the music that's having an effect in your brain. And it's causing an emotional response. You know, music also, and this is, this is, they've done studies on this. It also improves your cognitive performance. You know, music can reduce stress. Music, they say, I can't say that I've lived this one out, but it says they will help you eat less. <laughs> Some of you are like, can I laugh at that? Yes, you can. Uh, it will help you manage your pain. It will help you sleep better. It says it, uh, studies have shown it can improve your motivation. It can improve your mood. Studies have shown that it can uh, reduce symptoms of depression. Uh, and lastly, it can improve endurance and performance. Getting them gains in the gym. Listen, I love worship and I love music. And the two are are inexplicably connected to one another. See, a little bit about me this morning. I was saved when I was 10 years old. I'm, I came out of a broken home situation. My parents, who had been married for 20 years at the time, started arguing relentlessly and were on a path uh, for divorce. And my father was, was becoming an alcoholic and all of this, this terrible dysfunction was taking place in my home. And I'm this 10-year-old boy living through this experience. I have two older siblings, a brother and a sister who are twins. They're nine year, about nine years older than me. And my sister, at some point during her high school years, had found the Lord and had started attending, actually, Warren First Assembly. And I don't know if it was because she got stuck babysitting me or because my parents were fighting and she just wanted to get me out of the house, but she took me to a youth group. Ten years old, and this was back in the day where you went into the youth group and guys and girls sat on opposite sides of the room. 
That was to ensure that the youth group stayed at a reasonable number and no children were created. Okay? <laughs> just, just letting you know. And so the girls were on the left side of the room, and I remember this very clearly, and the guys were on the right side of the room. And I didn't know anybody, and I was the youngest kid in there because technically I was supposed to go to children's church, but I was with my sister, so I felt cool, so they let me come in. And the girls sat on the left side, and I remember that first night I was there, I sat on the left side because I didn't know anybody else. And so I sat with all the girls. I was like, look at me, right? And I remember giving my life to the Lord that night, and now at 10 years old, with no real stability at home, I really didn't comprehend the decision I had made, but I had continued attending church. And listen, I was a Brownsville revival music person because that's what the music of the time was, and that's what our church was doing. So you put on today, I'm 33 years old, it's 2021, you put on some 90s like Lyndall Cooley, like We Will Ride, and like I'll get lost for like hours, and like, yes, I will ride, where's my horse? right? Like those are the songs that take me back to where? They take me back to the place in the time that Jesus found me. Those are the songs that force me to recollect the yesterday and say, God, I don't know where I have, was going. I don't know where I would be today, but I'm so thankful that at that moment, 10, 11 years old, you found me. They evoke an emotion in me and I will cry like a baby. I don't, you can ask me if I don't cry a lot. I don't know why, I just don't. But you start playing some of that music and I begin reflecting back on the life that could have been for me had I not found Christ. And I'm, listen, I'm not by any means indicating that my life has been perfect or that I haven't made mistakes because I've made countless mistakes. Countless. But I'm grateful this morning that God looked down at 10 11-year-old Andrew and picked me up. And I'm sure you have songs that will take you back to a time where the Lord found you. I mean, worship is so incredible. Listen, we have an opportunity weekly, corporately to join all of heaven and declare the majesty and the glory of the God who saved us. Let us never waste that opportunity. Can I just say that again? Let us never waste that opportunity. So I want to give you this morning my thought, some of my thoughts on worship uh, just as we continue to build this conversation. The first of which being is worship is surrender. See, we're going to take it a step further this morning because for a lot of us, we, we conflate worship with this idea of just this 20 to 30 minutes of music time uh, on Sunday mornings or when we're turning on the radio or we've, we've put, brought that favorite song up on Spotify. But there's so much more to our worship expression than just the singing of the song or the playing of the instrument. So, Worship this morning is surrender. Listen, encounters with Jesus, I want you to get this. Encounters with Jesus always create an opportunity for a greater level of devotion. Encounters with Jesus always create a, a greater level and a greater opportunity for devotion. Everyone scripturally who ever encountered Jesus was always pushed to go beyond where they presently were. Understand though, some took advantage of it and some missed it. And I would tell you this morning, don't miss your moment with Jesus because you might not get another one. And I want to point to you two examples this morning, the first of which coming out of Luke chapter 19. We discover this wee little man that you probably grew up singing about named Zacchaeus who had discovered and had heard about Jesus and had heard that Jesus was going to be passing by and there was a curiosity that was created in Zacchaeus that he said, you know what, if anything, I just want to see him. So the Bible begins saying, this is Luke chapter 19, verses one through 10. If you want to read it, I'm going to paraphrase to save time, but it's in there, I promise. Luke chapter 19, verses one through 10. And he, he, 
He discovers that Jesus is coming. And the Bible says that he's so excited, if you will, that he runs ahead of everybody. But the problem with Zacchaeus, and it's kind of the same problem I have, he's not very tall. That's why the song is, he's a wee little man. And he can't see because the crowds had gathered. Understand, Jesus brings a level of excitement and curiosity anytime he steps into an area. And these crowds had gathered around because just like Zacchaeus, they were interested in seeing Jesus. And so the Bible says that he climbs a tree in hopes to get a better view of Christ. And wouldn't you know it, as Jesus is passing by, he takes special notice of Zacchaeus up in this tree and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus! Come down. I wish to have lunch with you today. I wish to recline at your house today. And I can imagine for a moment Zacchaeus' mind and maybe even how he acted. Me? You want to have lunch? You want to hang out with me? Yeah. So come on down. And Zacchaeus, from a place of surrender and obedience, comes down. And him and Jesus go off together. And his life has changed forever because of that experience. But to parallel that moment, we have Mark chapter 10. And we discover this very wealthy ruler who approaches Jesus. And essentially what he's saying is, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to to have eternal life, to be like you, to to have all of the blessings and benefits? And Jesus begins to list all of these things, right? And he looks at Jesus, and listen, he's very wealthy. He has need of nothing. And he looks at Jesus, and Jesus, of course, goes straight to the heart of what he knows this man is holding on to, okay? And he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. I love that Jesus doesn't beat around the bush with us. He went right to the heart. You can be X, Y, Z on all of these great things. But understand this morning, when you hold back from God, the thing that he puts his finger on through the Holy Spirit, what you find is religion instead of relationship. See, there was a confidence to this rich young ruler. Jesus, I've done this and this. I've kept the commandments. And I can imagine him getting a little bit more like, all right, I got this. I'm doing the right stuff. And Jesus just quietly and patiently stopping and waiting until he's finished. He says, but this one thing, Sell it all, all your riches, all all the things that you hold so tightly in your hands, all of the things that that you think make you who you are. Sell it. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the Bible says that he went away with his head downcast. Why? Because he wasn't willing to enter into relationship. He, would much, he was much more comfortable settling for religion. Religion says, I check these boxes, and that makes me good with God. Relationship implies an element of transparency and authenticity that says, God, I come before you broken. I come before you sinful and dirty. Please wash me, cleanse me. Please have access into the heart of my life. That the things I do, the thoughts I think, would be pleasing to you. And if they're not, convict me, Holy Spirit, that I may lay them down and truly walk with you. Relationship is a two-way street. Religion is a one-way offering. You with me this morning? Amen. The second thought I have on worship is worship is a lifestyle. 
Worship is not simply an action one participates in. Rather, it's a way of living. Devotion to the Lord as it pertains to us conforming our lives to his is the greatest form of worship we could ever offer. The more your life begins to reflect that of Jesus is the greatest offering you can give him from the place of worship. Because what you're saying is I recognize in you, Christ, something that I'm not, I don't have on my own. And the only way I can get it is if I become more like you. The Bible says that true worship is one that is done in spirit and in truth. Listen, we can dance, we can jump, we can shout, we can speak in tongues, we can say amen and hallelujah from the rooftops. You can get so good at the Christian ease of the culture that you can fool people into thinking things are great. I've been in church since I was 10. I've seen it and I've done it. Right? We could do all of those things. But understand, if your worship is not changing you and you're not living it outside these walls, then it's nothing more than sensationalism and emotion and it's lacking in true worship. The Bible says that worship is both in spirit and in truth. It comes through my demonstration, but it also comes from my ability to apply this word to my life. And listen, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I want you to know that about me. I will never preach at you from a place of correction unless the Lord specifically tells me to. I will always preach with you. So as I'm sharing this message, understand I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. John 4, 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's not enough just to come in here and raise your hands and shout and declare and, and speak in tongues. All of those are great things and they're necessary and they're vital to the life of the church corporately. But we've got to be people who are so moved by who Jesus is and become so enamored with him that it causes us to make the changes out there in our homes and our marriages and our families and how we do business and how we treat others and what we think about our money. That's when the worship moment that takes place here becomes real when you start living it out out there. Worship is transformative. We can't treat worship like it is this event that we go to. Rather, we must look at it as a way of life. My devotion to Jesus is not simply made up of my Sunday morning expression or in that 20 to 30 minutes of song time. Rather, it is in my desire to allow my life to conform to the life of Christ. I love the idea that the Holy Spirit always has more for us. It's Pentecost Sunday, right? It's like a big deal to the Spirit-filled church. It should be, right? We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. We understand that it's that Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to live out who we say we are to the world. It's that boldness that comes that helps us witness and show the goodness of God to the lost and dying. Right? The Holy Spirit has more for us, and he is always wanting to point us to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens us and gives us an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate, rejoice, and give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and savor all that God is for us in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who I hope and pray orchestrates our services and leads us in corporate praise of God. And I love being a part of a church where that's happening. My last thought on worship. Worship, when it comes to the music and the demonstration portion of service, do you realize this morning that that moment in connection with the, give, with the, the tithe and the offering is the only part of the service that is exclusively for Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. 
the meet and greet time was for you. The time in the lobby was for you. Hopefully something from this message you're hearing is for you. And your response time is for you. But the worship, where we have the chance to come before the Lord and empty ourselves out. And we offer him up, as the Bible would say in the Old Testament, an aroma that, becomes a, uh, that is pleasing uh, to his nostrils. Amen. That's not for you. That's not for me. That's exclusively for him. Amen. Every other portion is for us. And I'm not getting on to you for that. I'm just wanting to illustrate the importance of what worship is. Listen, Jesus doesn't need a hot cup of coffee. We do. I do. I hit the Dunkin' on the way in. I'm not going to lie. And I, I'm an I'm a iced coffee kind of guy, and someone informed me that uh, the drink I've been getting is based off a girl on TikTok. I had no idea. I'm a Charlie Cold Foam kind of guy. Thank you. Right? I didn't know that was based off of TikTok. This is, this is the gray hair, right? It just tasted good. But what Jesus wants is people who will come and empty themselves out. Why? So that they can be filled up. So when they leave those doors in the back, not those ones, there's a problem over there. These ones, right? They can take out what God has deposited and shine light into a dark and dying world. So you're sitting there this morning and you're, you're thinking, these are great thoughts. But maybe you're wondering, you're not really getting to the heart, Pastor Andrew, of how worship changes us. I'm glad you asked. Maybe you've said, how does worship change us? How are we to be different? Let me tell you this morning, I believe that begins with the perspective we carry with regard to how we view God. I want to read you a story about perspective. There's this old story about a man who found out that it was his time to go to heaven. He asked the Lord if he could bring just one thing, right? Like, you're going to like a sleepover, right? So you got to pack a bag. God, can I just, just one thing? And God's probably like, what is he going to bring that we don't already have, right? And so he kept arguing with the Lord. He kept pestering the Lord, if you will, because the Lord kept saying no. And the story goes that finally, after many requests, the Lord said, you can bring one thing. Happily, the man packed his suitcase full of gold. Okay? Full of gold. Not cryptocurrency, because nobody understands how that works. (laughs) Someone tried to explain it to me, and I said, if I give you this bag of seashells, can I buy something with it? And they said, no. I said, isn't that how cryptocurrency works? Because I don't tangibly touch this. But apparently I can purchase things with it. Does anybody understand? I don't. So if you understand it, come please enlighten me about it. But somehow it's valuable. So happily, the man packed his suitcase full of gold. It says, when he arrived in heaven, the angels said, sorry, you can't bring that in here. Like, whoa, nope, sorry, just you, not the, not the suitcase. And the man's like, but the Lord said I could. So they have their little angel conference. Like, you think you should? Like, what's he got in there? We don't have, right? Like, they have this little powwow. They finally come back and say, okay, if he said so, I guess we've got to let you do it. By the way, what's in there anyways? It says the man opened the suitcase and they looked in. It says, then the angel said to the other angels, oh, it's just pavement. Understand this morning, perspective matters. How we see things may and usually are very different than how God sees things. And what we value is usually not the same with regard to what God values. What worries us doesn't bother him. 
I want to help someone this morning. Do you realize that if God were ever worried, worried, the word worried or worry, if you will, is not a word that you could ever apply to God and he still be God. If God were ever worried, he could not be God. Because worry implies that God would be caught off guard or is, in, or is unsure of an outcome. And if that's the case, then he's not God and we should probably stop getting together. Right? But we can take confidence this morning that regardless of what we're going through, and I love this verse because it kind of puts into perspective just what God is up to. Because no matter what is in front of us this morning, the Bible says that, listen, it's good because God's going to work it all out for us. He's never, he's never rattled. He's never caught off guard. He's never like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming? There's never like a crisis meeting in heaven where they're like, okay, they did this and pff, never thought they would have. I love this quote from A.W. Tozier. He says, the church rises and falls depending on her view of God. The church rises and falls depending on her view of God. To me, it's all a matter of perspective. Get this this morning. If God is big in my life, then everything else is small. If God is in control and sits on the throne, then everything else is insignificant. And understand, I'm not diminishing the, your problem because it's real to you. What I am trying to do is get you to enlarge your view of God in light of your problem. I must operate from the understanding that he is a good father and that he works all things out according to my, for me, for my good. A high view of God creates a trust in us that assures us with confidence that God is in control. My view of God cannot and does not shift when things get hard or the enemy attacks or the world stops making sense. And if you'll permit me this morning just to push a little bit. Listen, if I, if I was honest with you, I would equally have said I was as disappointed with you at the election as many of you might be this morning. But if I could push for a moment, and listen, understand, I'm not implying this to any specific person or political affiliation. But if the results of the last election caused you to waver in your faith even a little, then what I would ask you to do is examine how big of a God you serve is. Why? Because God, the, the Bible I read indicates that God is always in control. Understand, a high view of God is the cure for a culture that is in crisis. A high view of God is the key to unlocking the supernatural. We must, as believers, get back to the days where God is our first option and not our last resort. We don't go to God after we exhausted all of the other possibilities. This didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. I guess the only thing left is God. What if we flipped the script on that and said, you know what? The world around me is crashing, crumbling, and caving in. My life is a mess. And you know what? Instead of trying all of these other options, why don't I just get on my knees and pray and ask God to come and meet me and heal me and forgive me and change me and help me in my marriage and help me in my life, help me in my finances? What if we would say to ourselves, you know what, God, you're so big. And what I've made a mountain out of, you look down from heaven and say, that's not a mountain, son. That's a molehill. And I'm going to help you step on it as you step over it. Amen? Your worship becomes an indicator of your view of God. Your level of obedience to his word becomes an indicator of your view of God. Body language speaks. Eye contact speaks. I want you to know this morning that he's a mind-blowing kind of God. He will blow your mind. 
Understand, no matter your current view and perspective of God, you, all, you are only scratching the surface of who he is and what he can do. I love John chapter 21, verse 25. As John closes out his book, he says this. He says, and there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge me this morning to enlarge our capacity of what we know of God and to allow him to blow our minds again with just how good and faithful he is. Listen, you want to be changed from a place of worship, then start by changing how you see him. I love what Psalm 121 says. Paraphrasing, it says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, for where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Understand, and I love this perspective because it implies an element of faith that I think we lose sometimes. Listen, all around, this is Israel talking in this passage, and all around Israel, they're, they're, there's strife, there's war, there's idolic worship. They're not really walking in the fullness of the blessing of God. And then they write, I lift my eyes up to the hills. So here's the picture that this verse creates. As I'm walking in my daily life, and no matter what is coming around me or in front of me or on the sides of me, I refuse to acknowledge it and give life to it. Why? Not because it's not there, but because I'm not looking at it, because I'm walking like this. Jesus, you're the one who takes care of me. You're the one who loves me. You're the one who has a plan for me. So regardless of what goes on in my life, I trust you. And the enemy could be attacking left and right and in front of me, but because my perspective is set upward on God. It has no effect in my life because he's taking care of me because he's a good father. Is this okay this morning? Isaiah chapter 6. It's a familiar passage. It says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw him high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 2 says, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, uh, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Crazy, right? Verse 3 says, And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Uh, the, earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, verse 4 says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the, thresh, the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5 says, woe to me, I cried. It says, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6 says, then the one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had touched your, uh, uh, within his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Verse 7 says, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then it says in verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. You've probably heard this before, but uh, Isaiah and King Uzziah were very close. And for, for uh, when King Uzziah died, this was not just something that Isaiah was like, no big deal, there'll be another king. They were close. This was an emotional loss for Isaiah. I want to tell you this morning that in times of hardship and difficulty, you must, we must look for the Lord. The first sentence says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's so easy to put our eyes on what's in front of us, on the things around us, this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. COVID's terrible. I agree with you. That we sometimes miss the Lord. I have to trust this morning, if the word of God says, I've never left you nor forsaken you, that I have to trust that somewhere in the middle of the mess that maybe I even created, he's there somewhere, ready to work on my behalf because he's good. Now my responsibility is to look for him 
so that I can engage with him and he can speak words of life to me that will pull me out of the pit that I'm in and set my feet on solid ground. I'm gonna get ready to wrap this up. I want you to know this morning that your worship and my worship don't have to look the same. And for the most part, it won't. Just how God speaks differently to me than he does to you, the same is true with how we relate to God from the place of worship. Some run, some shout, some lay face down before the Lord, some lift their hands, etc. and any number of the in-between. The only thing I don't think we're allowed to do is break out the tambourine. Rhythm issues, okay? No judgment. Just the whole thing, just, just pocket, all right? Just right there, just go there, okay? But we have all of these opportunities of expression to give to God. And they don't have to look the same. And the only admonishment I would say to us this morning is, listen, it becomes concerning when we get to the place where our worship becomes routine and just another part of our service. Worship can never simply be a box check as Christians to help us appease our minds and feel like we have done our 20 minutes of lip service to God. And the last point I want to make to you this morning, if the worship team wants to come, is what's it worth to us? Listen, my love for Jesus and what he did for me is more than enough for me to give him my life. And this is what I heard growing up and it has stuck with me to this day. I don't remember exactly which pastor said it to me, but this is the quote. They said, if, even if Jesus never did anything else for you other than salvation, he is still worthy of your life and of your worship. And my continued acknowledgement of what Jesus did for me makes it easy to surrender my life. Understand, it doesn't always make it fun. It means that you're going to look a little bit different than the rest of the world, and that's okay. It means the level of the conviction of your life will rise, and the things that maybe you used to find acceptable and permissible, you'll no longer find beneficial, and you'll lay them down. But if you keep that in light of what he did for you, then it becomes an easier ask than if he were this rude dictator that was demanding it. Listen, my worship is nothing in comparison to what Jesus did for me. I understand I owe him. We owe him. You owe him this morning. There's no sugarcoating it. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's my favorite verse of all time. Chapter 5, verse 21 said, God made him, this is speaking of Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, our perfect spotless lamb, who didn't have to, but willingly and obediently said yes to, went to the cross and laid his life down so that upon our acceptance and acknowledgement of his sacrifice, we would be restored to right relationship with God the Father. Our sins would be washed away and heaven would be our eternity. When we live our life in light of that sacrifice, then it becomes easier to lay things down and it becomes easier to empty ourselves out from a place of worship. Because we remember he did far more in that expression than we could ever repay. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I'm so excited to join this team, to be part of this family. I know we're the campus pastors of Warren and, and we'll be down the road at some point. And listen, if God stirred your heart and you live over that way, please consider coming and be a part of, of what we're gonna do over there because there's a great work. 
There's a city that is in the middle of a revitalization of its buildings and businesses and social culture, but really at its core, what it needs is a spiritual revitalization and that Jesus needs to shine light in darkness. And if God stirs your heart, be a part of that with us, even for a season. But this morning, as this worship team is back, what I wanna do is I wanna open the altars I, I was told that it's best to go on the sides. Altar team, if you want to come to on the sides, but if you want to even fill the middle space, if you don't need specific prayer and you want to move to this space, what I want to do is I want to create an opportunity for us to shift the perspective we carry of God. And maybe you're standing here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Andrew, there's been things going on in my life and there's been struggles I've been dealing with. You know what, I've given more of my life, my time, my attention, my energy, my focus to those problems, those hardships, those struggles, those sins, when in reality, what I should have been doing was changing my perspective on who God is and allowing him to go to work in my life. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you in a moment to the sides and our all, the altar team and those that are here to pray will meet you up there so that they can come into agreement with you and say, you know what? Let's see Jesus in his glory and watch him go to work in your life. But if you know what you say, you know what? For the most part, things are good, but I, ju I just want to empty myself out a little bit more this morning. I'm going to invite you to this middle space. And listen, I understand it's, it's a pandemic. And if you're not comfortable, your seat is appropriate. But if you are comfortable, I want to invite you. There's something about the movement, the prophetic step of, you know what? This altar is not a walk of shame. It's not a place of judgment. Rather, it's a place of forgiveness and freedom. So as we move this morning, know that you're not just simply moving. What you're doing is you're making a prophetic declaration in movement in your body to say, you know what, God, if you're up here, I'm getting closer to you. So if that's you, I'm gonna, I, I like to give a three count. You need prayer, that's on the sides. You just wanna come empty yourself out. You wanna dive a little deeper, that's the middle or at your seat, but we're gonna engage God for a little bit longer this morning on the count of three. If that's you, I want you to come. One, two, three, move out and let's come together this morning. Let's worship together. Oh yes, Jesus. Oh, that you would come this morning, Father. To the darkness, you give light. You are light. You bring light to Darkness, you give hope, Jesus. You restore every heart that is broken. So we sing, Great, great are you, Lord. Sing it again, Great are you, Lord. So just sometimes it's just to give God, like he said, another, a way to express your praise that even if you say, you know what, I just want to go deeper in my walk with him. I want to exalt his name. I want my life to matter for heaven, that my life would be a lifestyle of worship, an act of praise. I want to invite you to go to the side or go to the front or kneel right down at your seat. And why don't you give God something new? Why don't you give God something special this morning? It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath. Cause you're worthy in our lungs. Cause you're worthy. We pour out our praise. Do it again.
shout it out. It's your breath. It's your will shout all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great yeah are you Lord come on like Pastor Andrew said let out your praise all the earth will shout join all of heaven playing those chords. Why don't you right now just pray like Pastor said, just for a revelation. Open my eyes like Isaiah saw you. I want to see you. want to see you high and lifted up. High and lifted up. Your train fills the temple. Want to see you high and lifted up, God, high and lifted up. Open my eyes. prophet said he said there's no one like you none beside you Lord you see he is high and lifted up 
this really old song just enter my spirit. Can we close with this? I don't know if you know this. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praise. Come on, sing that old song. I'm so glad you're in my life. I hope I remember it. Here we go. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. sing your praises Lord I love to sing your praises and I'm so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you're in my life and I'm so glad you came to save me I'm so glad you came to save you came you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross drums in the church again one more time you came from heaven to earth come on to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky lord i lift your name on with a shout. Put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Let your worship rise and rise and rise and rise and rise to heaven. Come on, let it out. Come on, let it out. Because he is worthy. Because he is worthy. Transform this region with the light of the gospel. You're going to transform this region with the light of the gospel of Jesus, where every knee will bow and every tongue will say, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy, 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 worthy. Amen. 
Well, haven't you loved worshiping with your family this morning? Come on, you love worshiping with your family? High five a, ham, uh, a family. High, let's try that again. High five a family member on your way out. Bless you.